Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Looking for the best pool supplies? Look no further than Doheny's Pool Supplies. With a history dating back to 1967, this family-owned business offers everything families need to keep their pools clean and sparkling from chemicals to equipment. Plus, customers enjoy free shipping on all orders. Visit Doheny's Pool Supplies today at doheny.com, D-O-H-E-N-Y.com to learn more. Forest Bluff Real Estate Team serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. John Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and of course, Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. For the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. Owned by Lake Bluff's own Rich Ruzich, they are a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small-batch products that will delight both the occasional user and Ganjier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. Havy Communications has been helping first responders arrive safely since 1983. It's owned by Lake Forest own Mike Havy. Check them out at havycommunications.com. Are you looking for beer, wings, and swings in Lake Forest? Well, check out Duffer's Pub and their state-of-the-art golf simulators. This primo setup is the perfect place for your next corporate event. Yes, let your boss win. And of course, all the games will be on the TV and you'll never go hungry because the za and wings are scrumptious. Go to Duffer's Pub on Western Avenue now. We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters. Otto, John C., Helen, and Herrick. So what happened? I noticed it's down. Are we talking about it on the show or no? Yeah, we're talking about it on the show. I took, you took the post. You took the Facebook post. Yeah, I did. I did take it down. What happened after? Chicago, Chicago people, football people, our old school people. Somebody says, "Hey, man, can you do me a salad?" Okay, I'll do you a salad. But it doesn't mean that I can't talk. What, what about salad it. are you gonna do me? What? I need a salad. What salad do you want to do? <laughs> I hope Put our guests come. I guess we're joining late, okay? <laughs> Put your hands on the desk. It's usually I'm the one that's usually late here, so. I know. It's a, you know, well, you know. <laughs> I'm here all week trying to deal. You can ask me about the post that I put up and took down, homeless sleeping at Bank of America, me attacking liberals. Uh, speaking of liberals, Severino's a liberal. Rob Metz is a liberal. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't know Rob Metz, so I can't talk yeah, I about do. him. I really. Don't. Yeah, you I do. do. I don't. Let's, let's, I, leave, let's leave that. I note. believe. I believe. I believe Rob was at uh, Mary Cole's fundraiser. Somebody said he was. I know Rick. You couldn't make it because yeah, you I were. Make it. Yeah, I got your yeah, wife I, was under the weather. Uh, COVID, which is yeah. still still interrupting with my freaking life. I you know I got to tell you mm-hmm. I. I've had it with COVID. I, you know, I I had to miss my fiftieth high school reunion on Saturday night uh, because my wife had COVID. I didn't have COVID, by the way. I was negative every time, but you know, it's, it's like the you know, it, is it the protocol? You still gotta. Yeah, it was a. It was a. No, it was a. Uh, well, my one of my former classmates. Glad to be former. <laughs> then you should have went. Well, no. See, I, if I go, 
and somebody gets drinking out of his glass plus people somebody comes down with covid afterwards i'm going to get blamed for it the cdc tracks you down yeah, exactly. I, Your uh, iPhone is is Pepper watching Burks you. Is gonna you know, fling your scarf at me. I it's I I would you know I would certainly be banned for life. Lake Forest yeah. podcast host causes COVID, COVID outbreak. Yeah. Yes, yeah, super spread. In, and you're, are, didn't you go to Highland Park High School? Yeah, Highland Park High School. Right. It was the reunion in Highland Park? Uh, yeah, it was. Yes. See, so you would have caught Actually, uh, Lake Forest. You know, so there you right. go. Lake Forest podcast host caught, spreads COVID in Highland Park. Oh, the, yeah, there you go. Oh, the would have a field oh, that'd, day be, oh that'd be good. Oh, they just have to go through a metal detector. detector. You know, has to go through a COVID. They all had to take a little test before they went into the reunion. They'll put the they'll put all their homeless uh, on you know on on a little mini bus, one of the small buses, uh, and don't, ship them. Don't up get me started on the bus. homeless. Don't get me going. I got somebody stewing up on our page now. Oh, good. There we go. Hey, we got a guest. Here he is. Now he's just got to get his video going. All he's right. missing one it. of his names. I thought he had three names. I do. Well, I do. There you go. Hey, John. You buy an extra name. So <laughs> should we call you on the show, John Eric or John? Yeah, You can call me either. Like I told you, Joe, we call a lot worse. So either <laughs> one's fine. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll go with we'll go with John. I think perfect. So there so who go. knows this? I can remember that one. What, what, why is this ex copper on on my lawn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I call the cops if I were you, but uh, <laughs> they, won't, they can't they do won't, anything. They won't they do, anything. do anything. Now you can live there. <laughs> they're, they're you can camp out there, get a tent. You know, maybe uh, the ACLU uh, and and, you know, and the Illinois General Assembly would again. stop them. Oh. You'll get you'll get a lot of Facebook <laughs> posts though. Joe, Joe Rick, how do we know this yeah. fine young man? So John, I met John last week at our friend Mary Cole's fundraiser at Mickey Finn's out in Libertyville. Um, we turns out we have some mutual friends, and um, certainly Mary is now our mutual friend, and we're all excited about her campaign for state's attorney. But talking with John, he is a retired police officer from Lincolnshire, just down the street here from uh, not far from Lake Forest. And I know we've been wanting to get a perspective of law enforcement on the show. And obviously, active duty uh, police officers are limited in what they can do and say, though we do talk to a lot of them off the record. But, John, you're retired. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your history with the police and everything. So, um, yeah, I spent 25 years with the Lincolnshire Police Department, um, started in patrol, obviously. Uh, then I became the um, SRO at uh, Stevenson High School. Uh, I did that for four years. Uh, then there was an opening in investigations, which uh, that's what that was my dream uh, for law enforcement. I always wanted to be a detective. John, sorry uh, to interrupt. What's enough. an SRO? Standing room. Uh, school resource officer. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so that position opened up. And I got that. And uh, and then I uh, applied for a couple of years later and became um, a member of the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. I spent uh, 10 years on that, which is essentially the homicide task force for the county. Uh, I rose to the rank of assistant commander with the task force. Um, during my tenure at Lincolnshire, I became a sergeant. And eventually, when I retired, I was a sergeant in charge of investigations. Uh, and the school resource officers at Stevenson. Um, I also spent some time when I was investigations uh, assigned to the FBI Identity Theft Task Force out of Chicago, um, which was a really cool assignment because uh, I got to travel all over the country arresting bad guys. So that, 
that was a lot of fun for a small town cop. I got to tell you, I really enjoyed that part of it. But um, I was very lucky in my career, had a lot of varied experiences, um, obviously working in Lincolnshire. I uh, did a lot of uh, white collar crime, uh, so to speak. But um, during the course of my investigative career, I worked very closely with the state's attorney's office. Um, and I got to know uh, both Mike Waller and uh, Mike Nierheim. I, I worked with Mike when he was a line state's attorney in felony review, um, taking my cases up in front of him, you know, trying to get uh, approval for charges and stuff. So uh, I knew Mike uh, long before he uh, ran for and became state's attorney. And, uh, and then subsequently worked very closely with him and his office uh, and thoroughly enjoyed uh, my interactions with him uh, up there. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, my background um, in law enforcement. And uh, I retired in December of 2021 uh, after almost 26 years uh, in the business. So here he I retired am. a year after Eric Reinhardt became the Lake County State's Attorney. What was that year like? Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, well, I, clearly, uh, you know, it was different. We, um, the, the the mandates, I would say, were different. Uh, some of the procedures uh, changed a bit. Um, and it. I, I think that, you know, one thing that I remember about Mike, um, regardless of which side of the political fence you fell on, um, I didn't see any any politics in his office, the, none of the decisions that I saw that I were personally involved with. And again, remember, I was also a member of the task force at that time too. So we, uh, we dealt a lot with his office clearly with those cases. Um, the other thing, you know, we, we handled with the task force. Um, and at the time we were a little bit unique. Uh, we handle all the officer involved shootings in Lake County. Those were investigated by us and uh, not the state police. And so um, I thought Mike's office was very, very efficient in handling um, officer uh, involved shootings. Um, I think what people forget is that uh, these guys, there's a huge impact on their lives, these officers. And um, when things drag on, so to speak, and decisions aren't made, these folks are just left in limbo a lot. So um, I thought Mike did really well. So. There were some changes there. Uh, I was no longer on the task force when when uh, Eric took over in the state's attorney's office. I was still with Lincolnshire, um, but and I know that there was a mass exodus of, of staff members, high level staff members, some of which was typical when a new uh, a new boss comes into town. They they hire their own staff, but there were a lot of line state's attorneys that uh, that left as well. So, John, you talked to you still keep keep in touch with a lot of your uh former co-workers right I mean you you talk to a lot of your uh your yeah. they're they're not they're not just your co-workers they're your friends I mean the, I, I've never seen a stronger bond in a profession than than police officers and understandably so so um what are you hearing out there because I think a lot of people you know this kind of came up last spring with the Lake Forest mayoral election and one of the candidates who chose to support both Eric Reinhardt and Tim Fox down in Cook County um, gave 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 both of them a lot of money. Um, and, you know, the whole issue of public safety is coming up and everybody's talking about the quote unquote safety act, which um, a lot of us feel is, is, is a poorly named uh, act because it does anything but safety. But tell, give us your take on that and what you're hearing from your coworkers. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of trepidation with with this. Um, you know, there's a lot of, the, the major focus, uh, especially from the media, has been about the, the no cash bail. That's sort of been, you know, where everything has trended with that. But there's a lot of things in, there's a few other items in that law that were left in that directly impacts law enforcement. Um, it allows for completely anonymous complaints um, against police officers and that have to be investigated. So, uh, but the, the big kicker to that is that even when these complaints are unfounded or the officer is exonerated, they remain in your permanent file. So forever, um, which you can understand, you know, that opens you up to a lot of exposure um, and just your sort of interactions on a daily basis sometimes with folks, um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it can open you up for things such as on a simple traffic stop where somebody just didn't like uh, the fact that they got caught or whatever the case might be. And all they got to do is drop a dime. They don't have to leave their real name. They don't have to give you any other information other than my information. And then the department is required to launch an investigation as, as if it were a formal complaint. Um, and even if it's unfounded, uh, that's going to stay in my file for the rest of my career. And, I, you know, I, when you wonder why people don't want to get into this, um, when your every move is scrutinized on every basis and um, even for just doing your job and people are allowed to sort of without any other basis other than just a phone call uh, impact your career. I think that's that's a huge thing. And, and nobody really talks about that. And I think that's an important point. And but it, that's always on the mind of an officer. And, and, and I'll be the first to tell you that if there are legitimate complaints, um, we do want those to come forward. We, we do want to investigate those. But um, it's unfair on the other end when people are either exonerated or it's unfounded that it just remains in their record. Uh, yeah, that, so, I, have, I have to agree. That's that's very you know draconian. Uh, if, if I'm a police officer and I'm thinking, boy, I could stop this car or I could not stop this car, uh, you know, I... I'm kind of leaning towards not stopping the car because if I don't stop the car, then I can't get uh, reported. Yeah. yeah if I do nothing, if I do play. nothing, if I just stand there, uh, I'm in a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more protected. Now, John, I, I'm a, I'm an attorney uh, and we, you know, we have a, we have a disciplinary commission as well. The uh, ARDC, the attorney registration disciplinary commission. Uh, and anybody can make a complaint against me as well. Uh, but, but uh, the, commission does investigate those uh, and if they are found not to be uh, any uh, basis for it uh, it it is dismissed uh, and no it is not a part of a permanent record and there it is not something that is uh, uh, on uh, the ARDC's website or otherwise uh, you have to actually be um, adjudicated by the ARDC to have committed some ethical violation before something goes on uh, as a permanent feature uh yeah i, I can see why that would uh, having uh, anybody being able to make a an anonymous and anonymous that's terrible um uh, charge against the police officer and it stays on their record for the rest of their career that's a terrible thing so eric reinhardt's profession which is your profession rick being an attorney is held to a different standard than our police officers are going uh, to is what you just said yes that is that is that is certainly true John, um, how, it's crazy. John, how, how have the cameras changed things? Um, well, I, I, you know, I was I've always been a big proponent of the cameras. Um, 
it was interesting. So when we were, you know, the impetus, a lot of this started with uh, interrogations, right? So um, in our early uh, homicide cases, when I first started task force, uh, those those uh, interviews were not uh, were not videoed, and they were not required by statute at the time to be. But uh, as a task force, we took it upon ourselves to um, to do that on our own uh, before it became mandatory for uh, under the law. Uh, I always thought, and and then when you apply that to body cameras, um, look, the vast majority of the police do their job and they do it well, and and they do the best that they can. So I think it's a great tool for law enforcement. Um, I can tell you in agencies that have had body cameras when they're introduced, the level of um, level of formal complaints goes way down. Um, and uh, you know, it's a simply a matter of replaying the the video. I, I will tell you the other thing that's very interesting to see is um, when you respond to scenes and you let people know they're being recorded, um, you, a lot of times you can see a change in behavior right off the bat because people know everything they say and everything they do is is, is going to be recorded and kept. So um, I imagine yeah, that probably that, calms that, things down in some circumstances. It, it absolutely does. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no question about that. Uh, there's, there's so no so why isn't why doesn't everybody do it? I know once they first get introduced, I, I talked to some of my Chicago copper buddies. Oh, the camera malfunctioned. You get all that crap for the first, you know, first year of it and then then you got to use it like why why wouldn't if you're a good cop and i assume they're all good coppers love the boys in blue all right and the girls in blue yes boys <laughs> girls gals uh, he she they whatever love but them all it, yep. it, regardless <laughs> of gender can we say all all right so you have the camera and it puts everybody you know on a level playing field either it happened or it didn't happen so is it the unions that don't want it or is it the cost? Because I think the cost would be offset by the lawsuits. John, what do you think? Yeah, actually, yeah. John, um, I, I, one other thing I heard about the new law is that it requires that each individual police officer have their own video camera, uh, their own chest cam, uh, and you can't swap them out. For example, your shift ends, you, you hand it to uh, the next guy. Correct. That is correct. Um but like anything, like a lot of things in Illinois, these are unfunded mandates, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about requiring every police department, um, in Lake County, we have 37 separate police departments, okay? So the average size of those police departments is about 14 officers. So when you think about that, and you think about the annual budget of some of these agencies, um, so it's not just the outlay and the purchase of the cameras, right? So sometimes there's state grants available, there's federal grants. You have to maintain that system. And so the cost of storage is enormous because the statute requires you to keep certain events that are marked or flagged for at least two years, right? Because that's the uh, statute of limitations often for federal lawsuits. So you have to keep those uh, in storage, readily accessible, ready to go at a moment's notice for at least two years. Um, that, so again, the cost of the camera is not what does it, it's maintaining them, and then it's the storage um, that's required. Hold, 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 hold on, John. Yeah. I know you're the guest, but look, this is two terabytes, okay? Yeah. There's your two years of storage right there, $99, okay? Yeah, but unfortunately, your two terabyte, I also have to make it secured. I can't, uh, I, I have to house that. And so that means that um, I have to follow federal guidelines 
that it can't be, uh, that makes it almost hack proof, uh, that it's only okay. accessible by certain people. So um, for two terabytes online is $20 a month. I, where I'm going with it, I'm just doing some back of the yeah. envelope math here with, with Rick sure. here. You have all these bullcrap lawsuits out there. Yep. I would think that the cost to maintain this system, whatever it is, the cloud, you know, in your hand or whatever, would offset. It. Are there a lot of fraud, uh, bullcrap lawsuits out there, John, against coppers? Of course. But but here, here's the other cost factor. Um, there are agencies that have to hire full-time FOIA people because of the amount of requests that come in for body cam videos. Yeah, you get a lot so of crazy FOIA requests. Yeah. And so <laughs> so now what you're dealing with is literally hiring personnel and staff and somebody who has to respond to these requests. Um, and again, if you, you know, FOIA in Illinois is probably one of the most liberal uh, FOIAs that you have on the books. And you're telling um, me you can get the, the king of the I, FOIA. Yeah. John, has anybody done, seriously, has anybody done the math on this? Because, okay, great, you hire a couple more admins, and now with artificial intelligence, it's just as it, you're doing a Google search through your records, right? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of these towns have artificial intelligence. Most of these towns don't have uh, natural intelligence, the much less no, artificial intelligence. No, but would, would this be a, I, I'm going to guess that though, since this is the Lake Forest podcast, um, I, I'm going to guess that Lake Forest has the resources to do this, and he's doing it the right way. Just going out on a limb here, uh, but you you know a lot of these Lake Forest cops. You worked with them with the Major Crimes Task Force. I mean, I, I think you got a pretty good. I think Lake Forest is a pretty well respected uh, department in the yeah. county. And yeah, yes. So I, I, there. So if if someone gets pulled over today on Deer Path for speeding. Yeah. Correct. That body cam video is stored for two years. It so if it's a what do we call a flagged event? So let's say that traffic stop might have led to criminal charges, uh, you know, outside of the stop, or maybe there was a complaint filed by the motorist. Um, that's a what's called a flagged event, and then that yes, that has to be held in storage. Um, most departments are going to do that regardless. Uh, on almost every event because you got to think about like I don't know when they because you could come back you know uh, one one year and 364 days later with your suit right so all of these departments are going to do that um, but just to get back to another point you made I mean um, when you're talking some of these small small agencies that might you know and again we're, we're talking up here in Lake County where we do have some really small agencies with only six, seven officers, yeah. um, you may not even have an admin person. And now you get flooded with FOIA requests that you have to honor. Um, and, and, and video transcription is, while there's a lot of good software out there now, that's also an expense, but it's also time consuming um, because you got to remember, you got to redact a lot of folks that if you're in a, if you're in a scene somewhere out on the street and you got people who have nothing to do with that scene, you got to block out their faces. You got to do a lot of stuff to make sure that their privacy is insured. So um, there, there's a lot that goes into it. But so just, and again, a lot of these smaller agencies, surely the Lake Forest, the Lincolnshires of the world, they can do it. They've got the, the funds. They have the capacity to do it. It's when you put it Think on about Highwood. 
Think about yeah. highway. Think about the number of incidents. Well, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about no the size of the highway police department. Yeah, I'm thinking about Nolwood. Yeah. Our, our our neighbors. Well, Nolwood, just Nolwood the has no police department. They're part of the oh, they, uh, Lake, Lake County, County Sheriff. Sheriff. Yeah, right. or if they send the Lake Bluff PD. Yeah, which is uh, the Lake County Sheriff is its own separate uh, yeah, universe. Right. All right well, John, let's I'm, get back. I'll, 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 sorry, lay up, I'll lay up the cameras, Joe, John, <laughs> All right. Rick. All right, but let's get down to data. Okay, because police can't do anything without data. Going back to when Giuliani cleaned up New York City, he right. put a nice system in to measure where the crime's happening. If people don't re report crime, then there's not much that you guys can do about it. For instance, we got, we're got we all up in arms with these electric scooters, and somebody hasn't died yet, so we haven't had a Pearl Harbor event yet mm -hmm. for people to yeah. take it seriously. So if you almost get hit by a scooter and you don't report that, then that just lets the next person go by and get the potential to get hit. The police can't do anything about it. Can you talk to that? Citizens need to report what's going on in order so you guys have some data to work off of. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is always a partnership. Uh, you know, wherever you are policing, um, because whether you're in Lake Forest or you're in Chicago or New York, I mean, the, the job is the same, to be honest. Um, so what you do for the most part, day in and day out in policing is pretty much the same wherever you are in the country. But that does rely uh, many, many times, like you said, on the citizenry to to, to let us know uh, when there are things uh, amiss. And to your point, like, like for this example, I mean, without us knowing, because he can't be everywhere, you know, there's that rare time when the police might have seen what you're just describing and they can intervene. But Outside of that, if you're not letting us know um, what the issues are in your town, um, it's hard for us to not only react, but then to come up with plans to hopefully prevent that in the future. And that's, and you're right, it is data driven because I, I can't just make general statements that scooters are unsafe. I need to, I need to have examples like you're saying um, exactly what, what, you know, why is it unsafe and where we're statistically, we do this great with traffic, right? We do traffic studies all the time because most towns, that's your number one complaint from the citizenry, speeding or reckless driving. And so, boy, oh boy, we've got that down to a science in law enforcement. I'm telling you, we can, we can, we can tell you how many cars came through an intersection. We could recite the number of tickets that were issued there and stuff. But it's these other things like you were talking about that we need to we need, really need the input from the from the from the uh, citizens to, to get us to help that and resolve that issue one of the key uh, uh changes with the safety act uh is uh bail bail is is gone now uh it's now called it's no longer called bond court uh, we're not going to call it pre-trial uh uh, uh pre-trial uh, release court um yeah that'll that'll go a long way yeah um but the um uh but now uh, there are a huge uh, a number of crimes for which uh, the accused will not be uh, retained or required to post anything other than their own signature, promising that they will show up for trial. Uh, I'm going to guess that some people may decide, well, gee, do I really want to go to trial where I'm going to lose and go to jail? Or maybe I'll just miss that today. Uh do you have any thoughts on that? How well this is going to work? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from a law enforcement perspective, um, you know, obviously our, our number one goal is public safety. 
it, it, it's, it's very difficult, especially in certain cases um, when you're talking like, you know, batteries, domestic batteries, issues where, you know, there is legitimate concern for your safety, not only in that moment, but now somebody getting out literally almost immediately um, yeah. and then being right back to that same situation where they were um, and maybe causing further harm uh, without so much as really a thought. I mean, you got to think if if the state's attorney and I know they're going to prioritize some of these cases, but again, there could be potentially some violence here. And then how how much personnel can they devote to seriously trying to come through a, a pretrial where they're going to say this this person should be held? You're talking, you know, with domestic violence alone, you're talking thousands of cases just in Lake County. And you can't devote a, enough personnel to that, you know. Um, the other thing, though, that I think that the residual effect is this going to be is that if and when things start to go south, right, who are they going to pin the blame on? It's going to be pinned on judges because judge, they're going to put it all back on the judiciary saying, well, you know what, why didn't judge so-and-so hold this guy? Look at that. I mean, yes. it's not our fault. Don't blame the don't blame the prosecutors, uh, you know, and and I'm not sure that that's where we want to be going with this either. Um, yeah, as I understand, the prosecutor is going to have a burden of uh, clear and convincing evidence, which is a high burden uh, yeah. in order to have somebody held prior to um, uh, trial. Yeah, which yeah. is going to be we've we've talked about this before that there's 102 counties in Illinois, and a hundred of those 102 counties states attorneys both Republicans and Democrats, so it's, we don't think it's a partisan issue, right. have said this is this is a bad piece of legislation. This is going to lead to an increase in crime. The Will County State's Attorney is a Democrat. He has yeah. been very vocal against the so-called Safety Act. I think Mary Cole calls it the Catch and Release Act. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. It's going to put... It's going to put... It's going to put dangerous people on the street. And unfortunately, those two state's attorneys are the Cook County State's Attorney, Kim Fox, and the Lake County State's Attorney, Eric Reinhardt. So, and Mr. Reinhardt is up for re-election next year, and Mary Cole is probably going to be his, his opponent. Um, and I think there's a clear difference between those two um, when it comes to public safety. I noticed when, when some people of are voting the, some of the, some, uh, there are particular crimes which where you are still allowed to hold people. Uh, first degree murder, second degree murder, and uh, treason. Uh, but Donald treason. Trump got out of bail. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Georgia. We'll look. Um, but no, but seriously, I think the concern is, look, a, a murderer is going to stay in jail. Right. I think the concern, though, is that you have you, you see instances even now before the Safety Act kicks in where Reinhardt has has let people out for crimes that previous state's attorneys would have kept them in jail. And then they go on to commit a worse crime while they're out uh, while they're when they're not in jail, so just the, the carjacking in Libertyville, I think, was a great example of some of those guys should have been in jail for previous stuff. And when does this go into effect, guys? When is the safety act going to September eighteen? Okay, so September eighteen. Weird date. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's be a little precise here. Okay. In other words, five days from okay. our, our taping here today. I'm asking everybody. Okay, great. It happens the eighteenth. How do we know it's a bad idea? Other than our feelings. Well, because John, a lot of police officers or, uh, and prosecutors have told us what that. data points are we going to look at? Shoplifting gone. Go, shoplifting is horrible. Shoplifting already. That's already get disgusting. Or like, what are we going to look at? What What are the data points that say, "Holy crap! Look at this." 
I, I'm guessing the jail population will go down and yes. these these little petty crimes will come up. We won't report them because we don't want to deal with the hassle. That means the prices of goods will go up. Inflation will go up even more. John, what do you think is going to happen at September 18th? What well, data think should September, be looking at? One thing I'll tell you that from a legal perspective is you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, petitions filed for people that are currently incarcerated to uh, want to gain their freedom. So you're yep. going to get that one of that. That's going to be a big overload. And Pete, to your point, I mean, it's it's going to start emptying the jails. Um, a lot of people sitting there on pretrial right now, they're going to be walking out the door. Uh, and, you know, again, obviously we're, our system is predicated on your innocent until proven guilty. I get that. But the fact is that there's going to be a lot of those people who are, you know, committed crimes that are going to be walking out the door into your communities, into my community. Um, and there's really not a lot of accountability. And and to your point, I mean, you know, um, there's been a lot of studies, you know, hey, should you arrest the guy for the petty crime so he doesn't get to the bigger crime? And I think that that it, it does have an impact. Um, because the vast majority of these crimes are committed by such a small percentage of the population that it's been proven that if you can get them off and get them away, right? Yeah, but, you know, the, you can get the them broken away. window theory. Yeah, yeah, but it 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 works, and um, yeah, there's a lot of truth you know, to it. That's yeah. why right. graffiti. Yeah, it's a, a lot of graffiti. communities like by us. Absolutely, absolutely. You know. Um, you know, we that that's a philosophy that we followed for almost my whole career uh, in Lincolnshire yes. and similar communities to that. And that's why people, I believe, feel it, safe. Very successfully. Uh, Lincolnshire, for, for example, yeah, has, does not have a bad uh, crime problem. Yeah. Right. And either so, with Lake Forest for, for no. a lot of the same reasons. Absolutely. Although we now we, we are now uh, struggling with uh, beggars and uh, homeless people in Lake Forest. That was going to be my next topic. So, here, yeah. So. And they, yeah. And and we are hearing about shoplifting uh, too. So I don't know if Lincolnshire has a homeless problem. I don't know where in Lincolnshire the homeless would hang out. Uh, I'm uh, not. I don't know. Lincolnshire's mayor, uh, I don't think would allow it. Uh, okay. Well, well I, I don't think I don't think like for I don't think Mayor Tack wants to allow it either. But I think Mayor Tack's hands yeah, are tied somewhat here. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, know. I think John, we, let's we need to step up. Let's talk about this. I mean, I don't know what your experience was dealing with homeless guys uh, yeah. out on the street and, and stuff and how you how you would have handled it as a as a police officer because we're we're seeing here in Lake Forest in in our downtown area um a a number of homeless people in in somewhat prominent places the train station yeah. um the uh, the there's a public corner near a, a popular coffee shop hometown coffee where a guy has a whole tent set up yeah. Um, Pete has there's, a, there's been a photo the last couple of days on our uh, Facebook page of a guy sleeping by the Bank of America drive-through. Also uh, downtown. downtown. Hometown must be hometown must be attracting them. That's that's obviously true because the the homeless on both sides. <laughs> well, are local there. business brings everyone in, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, but John, what's what? How would what's sorry, your what's down. your thoughts on this as a, as a law enforcement officer? Yeah, you know, we law enforcement's been kind of put in a tough spot, and and. Um, you know, Joe and I, you and I talked a little bit uh, off air about this, but, you know, I know at Lincolnshire and I and, and I looked in Lake Forest had similar ordinances um, when it came to loitering. Uh, there was even a statute we had at the time for vagrancy, which, you know, that's been tossed out years ago. But the loitering statute uh, was around yeah. for a while. But, you know, the courts have been consistently ruling against that, uh, especially in public places, you know, sidewalks. 
uh, even the streets, um, which is why folks are allowed to kind of, you know, you see them with the signs and they wander out into traffic and they're looking for donations, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard on the police because, number one, you know, when when these when the ordinances get tossed out, what are you what are you basing your stopping and detaining these folks on? Um, and so you got to be you got to walk a fine line. Um, you know, we, we've taken some creative approaches with some of it. I mean, we had a homeless encampment um, in one of our wooded areas, uh, which was an encampment. And um, but, you know, there are some zoning laws which don't allow you to set up a residence in some of those areas. So so but it's not a criminal offense, but it was a business offense, so to speak. So sometimes we've gone that route. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily an, a law enforcement matter, but you know, we've worked with other agencies within our village to try to address that issue. And that was more from a safety perspective, obviously, you know, where they were set up and that kind of stuff. But um, it's it's really difficult on, on law enforcement um, to do that. Uh, because again, they we can only act upon what the laws are. We, we can't we can't venture outside. That's when we get in trouble, when we start going outside of the realm of yeah. what we can act within. And so uh, can I can I bring up license plate readers? Sure. Did you guys use those? We uh we were in the process when I retired of of researching and and purchasing. Okay. Yeah. Same same principle, right? Uh car uh car comes into your community, it looks it up in the database and it gives you an idea who's coming in. Right. We are a two train station town. Wouldn't it make sense to have a camera just on the train stations to see who's getting let off? And then rotate the, the, the cops train, through at the schedule. The train does have multiple uh, car, multiple doors, uh, and they don't all stop in the same place at the same, you know, in, in a uniform manner. Uh, you would need, uh, like the West okay. train station, you would need at least five cameras. Oh. And then you would need an infrastructure to monitor those cameras, right? Like you were talking about a few minutes ago with the uh, body cams. Who operates your train stations, though? Is it Metra or does Metra. the, the, the mm -hmm. city maintain? Metra. The city does not. Right. I, I think the I think the city. When they owns stay, well, hold on. When the they land, step off the train, the station, but the Metra operates the trains. Yeah, but yeah. so so Metra's system is such that there are because we we dealt with this too. There are um there are Metra stations that are maintained by Metra, even though they might be within your town, and then there are the ones that are maintained by the town themselves. So while Men Metro operates the train lines, everything there are some stations that Metro um, maintains. So if that's the case, and you're, I know you have two of them, you, you'd have to see if that's either you, the city maintains them, which then allow you to put cameras wherever you wanted, if that's what the, where they wanted to go. Otherwise, you got to go through Metro for that um, to try to get those those. Let's just wave a magic wand, John. Would you know, that help? Is it's either rotating the schedules of the cops on the train schedule to drop by to see who's getting let off in the town right. or somebody's in a centralized point to have this data coming in that they can see here is a, a video of the train station, the inside of the train station. I think that would be a safety thing too, because you have people early in the morning, late at night going in there wanting to know what's going on. Would that help aid or no opinion? I think, you know, I, I found the cameras are only as effective if if you're doing something with them. I mean, because people figure out after a while, if you just got a camera sitting up there and people are doing whatever they do and nobody responds or nobody does anything with it, well, then it's just another piece of hardware just sitting up there collecting dust. So 
it, it, you know, I think Joe brought it up. I mean, you have to have people monitoring that. Uh, and then if there is something that's observed, people who will respond to it uh, to take action on it. I mean, um, but I understand completely how it's a problem, I mean, especially at train stations, because that's where your commuters are going. That's where you get your visitors coming, uh, you know, and and it's it's tough when you're stepping over people or people are coming up to you asking for money and, um, you know, and it can be daunting, especially for families, because, uh, you know, you don't know. I mean, it, it it also speaks to to the fact that for law enforcement, it's very difficult for us to uh, most of these folks. And this is just my experience. Um, they have a lot of issues, right? Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol or mental health or a combination thereof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. um, and we're limited in where we can go with them, even if we get a legit reason to maybe take them somewhere. Um, you know, that that's that's an issue for us, too. Um, and, and trying to to get these folks the help that they need is is a, is a really difficult prospect um, for us. I mean, I think that in large measure, uh, a lot of this is driven by people giving them money. Uh, yeah. One of the things that the city could do is put up a sign uh, in prominent places where the beggars and the homeless uh, are begging uh, to say, please don't uh, uh, don't uh, give money to panhandlers. If you want to help the homeless, here is a homeless shelter uh, or here is a contact information that you were please give there. Uh, and not to cash to somebody on the street. Yeah, and and I'll be honest with you too. On the other hand, I mean we <laughs> we dealt with organized groups. Um, I mean these are organized people that uh, appear to be destitute and are not destitute by uh, any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination. And they will literally uh, travel from town to town. I can tell you just from experience in Lincolnshire, we we had uh, six hotels, and they would uh, rent out a block of rooms uh for a month and then that's what they would do they would just hit the streets uh and interestingly they wouldn't stay in lincolnshire they would hit the streets of vernon hills they would hit the streets of buffalo grove and then they'd come back and and i mean you got to have a decent it's amount a, of money it's an enterprise it's a business off. yeah yeah well, i mean the guy outside of it's been well documented that yeah, the guy, guy outside, outside of fresh, of market. fresh market yeah. Um, is he's anything but homeless. He's got a home. He's got, you know, he's, he's just basically a counter. And yeah. I can't, I can't understand why the city of Lake Forest doesn't put up a sign there. So saying, oh, here's what my, I, I did some asking about that and not to take away John's our guest, but uh, the, uh, uh, the issue is um, where would go because fresh market and a lot of these fresh markets, a national company. I was at a fresh market in Florida recently when I was down in Naples. So it's a, there's fresh markets, not just uh, uh, here, here in Lake Forest, a lot of these national companies. And I suspect that's the same issue you got with Bank of America with this guy sleeping in the drive through. They kind of they don't want well, the they bad press. Yeah, you they, know, they Starbucks, don't be the Starbucks took some be... crap for kicking homeless people out of their bathrooms and stuff in, in downtown New York or San Francisco or wherever it was. Yeah. So a lot of these national companies, they. No, they don't. Look, they don't want to get. Wanna, they don't want to be the test target. They don't want to have people. They're, 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 they're afraid of legal fees. Somebody's some municipality. But I think, but but to finish the sentence, take it up to the new the new Supreme Court. This all out. Getting back to the fresh market deal, the data point is that that guy makes lewd comments to young women. Nobody reports it yet. They'll go to a city council meeting and say something about what what happened. 
That's the that that's the problem. America, if you, did, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. That's the number one rule, right, John? I mean, if, right. if people don't file a police report, it never happened, right? Right. And but to Pete's point too about the data, I mean, you know, these companies when when uh, when customers quit coming, <laughs> that'll also impact them. And and a lot of times, unfortunately, that's what it takes for that kind of action. Yeah. If you, but to Pete's if, point, if people stop giving them money. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. And and but. You know, uh, when you start losing customers, uh, when I'm going to go someplace else that I don't have to step over people or be accosted yeah. as I'm yeah. walking through the grocery store, um, I, I think that also yeah. makes it. Yeah, There's I, a I McDonald's near my office downtown so. that I won't go in anymore because every time I go in, they've got homeless guys inside the McDonald's coming up to you when you're in line asking for money and they and they don't do anything about it so i'm i'm done with that mcdonald's i'm sick right. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm i'm done with mcdonald's anyways to try and lose weight but that's um but yeah i mean we, i just we, think we got the shopping corrals at jewel maybe yeah. we can find yeah. out who the manager is of this fresh market and just say hey man well and jewel has a similar problem though pete you're you've got a good relationship yeah, right. with the folks yeah. at jewel now jewel, yeah right they, I heard they have a they have a homeless person outside of yeah, there. That nice. Supposedly, like the, that the first guy, market guy's got like the assistant beggar. The assistant, supposedly, the guy has the assistant. Assistant goes to the jewel, and supposedly so the jewel bag, the jewel guy shoplifts from jewel every morning. Now, I, I guess they just take the hit as a as an as Albertson's corporate, but I, I, yeah, they will. Maybe you can. <laughs> Maybe you can go talk to them, but I think the city's looking at the signs. I've had some conversations with some people about putting signs up where they where they can. I wish well, and to, I gave them some samples. I gave them some now. samples of some signs, including the one from Scottsdale that you uh, you've shown, Rick. Yeah. Um, so stay Scott tuned on that. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about another issue that's happening downtown: scooters, e-scooters, e-bikes, whatever you want to call them, are almost killing people. <laughs> <laughs> these kids are running amok in these things. I don't know if this is, you know, Lincolnshire is a little bit different of a layout than Lake Forest, John. But did you ever have issues like this with with uh, kids on these things? I know this is kind of newer and you retired a couple of years ago, but um, I think you've heard about what's going on here in Lake Forest and it's probably happening in some other downtown areas. What what uh, what's a police officer's take on that? Well, you know, the, the the problem with them is that they're completely unregulated in the sense that um, how do you classify them as a vehicle, right? So, you know, people are driving these things on sidewalks where you don't normally have motorized vehicles, right? Uh, that's usually reserved for roadways. Uh, and, and, but, and then they take them on the road, too. So, so now you're obstructing traffic as well. Um, you know, I understand the concept of it is to allow people who may not have access to transportation uh, immediately so that they can go from point A to point B. The problem is it does need to have some kind of regulation with it. I mean, you, you can't jump from the street. I can't take a, a motorcycle and jump it from the road to the to the uh, sidewalk and think that that's okay. So I don't understand why a scooter is treated differently than say that. It's still- It's marketing. I think it's marketing. If it has a motor, it cannot be on the sidewalk. Yeah. If it has wheels, you walk it, you obey those little green signs, you walk it right. through town. Because yeah. we're talking about electric motors, guys. We're talking yeah. about zero torque, which means you can go from zero to 20 immediately. Yeah. So the response time for somebody to, to get out of the way, whether you're on the scooter or not, that- if you market it that way, if you it, that's simple, that's that's easy to ban, guys. 
Yeah, and, and I think you know, listening to some of the comments from the aldermen at the last meeting, and they're gonna they're gonna go into this at the next meeting. But Alderman Goshgarian was uh, very uh, vocal about saying basically what you just said, Pete. Um, but let me ask you this, John. One of the challenges I think with with ordinances like these is, is enforcement. Um, how you know the cops got a lot on their plate. How does that work with you know keeping people from robbing houses, keeping people from um, DUIs and all that stuff on the road, but also these kids on scooters in downtown Lake Forest. How does that work for uh, if you're the police chief or one of the police officers? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a combination of things. I think one that, you know, we always like to start out with campaigns in terms of like trying to educate people, um, getting the word out, you know, especially on social media platforms. You know, you want to hit your target audience, which is a lot of those kids, as you're saying, that's the ones who are jumping typically on and off these things and and, um, you know, make sure that they understand, you know, the safety aspects of it. And then, you know, you got to follow that up also with the enforcement part of it. And a lot of times <clears throat> selective targeting enforcement is found to be very, very effective. Um, when you when we first came out with the um, the, the law about uh, cell phones, uh, when it had to be hands free, um, we did a lot of selective enforcement uh, in, in Lincolnshire to um to basically, you know, inform people about the new law and how that works. So um, I think, so for us, I think that's the way you approach that. You got to put that out there, put the message out there, give people some time to kind of digest it and understand what the regulations are or going to be. And then you got to hit them with enforcement action. Were, as you said earlier, our regulations, I mean, as I understand it from the, um, uh, from the city council meeting that we last time, uh, the state of Illinois does not classify these electric scooters at all. There's no Correct. definition for them at all. Exactly. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. And we need to talk to our uh, Senator Morrison and Representative Morgan to help us out with that one. John, how does the... Um, uh, they're, they're, with, yeah, with they're, the... too, they're too busy helping the homeless move in. <laughs> it's not a good it, enough... You know, it, actually, John, actually we, got, we got a couple more. John, I want to go yeah. back to the Safety Act, if we could. Sure. Uh, which is coming into effect uh, on, I think, on Monday under uh, yeah. the Supreme Court's uh, ruling. Um, other than what we've talked about, do you see any other problems uh, with with uh, the new act? Well, you know, you guys mentioned body cams, and what's interesting is that there's a proviso within the Safety Act, um, which uh, I find preposterous. But when it talks about body cams, um, it talks about that if an officer is involved in an incident. Um, that they are not allowed to review the body cam footage prior to uh, writing their report. What? Um, a supervisor what? can review it, um, but it's it, it it and and the language is such that it it again I can't even imagine a time when you wouldn't want to look at the body cam video. Yeah. Because the whole idea behind it is. Um, Would you want and, an accurate report? Right. And having worked a number of um, officer involved shootings, which were captured on body cam um, the, in that moment, when you got that tunnel vision and you're fearing for your life and you're trying to protect yourself, there are times when, you know, you may not be as accurate, even right after the event, especially a lot of times right after the event. And so yeah. I think well, you're really putting an officer in a, in a terrible spot because um, and just as an example, I remember one time we the sheriff was involved in a shooting they uh one guy emptied his rifle so he fired off like eight to ten rounds he said he sh he shot two shots right well you know upon review of the video and all that 
clearly was that. But if this guy had not been electrocuted his camera first, um, he would have put down it was two shots. Well, what happens then? Now you get the video, and what do you, who comes screaming? But the defense saying, "Hey, hey, hey! This guy's a liar. This guy, and he was nothing of the sort." And so um, it seems ridiculous that we have this technology. We want officers to wear this at all times. Um, there's also provisos in there that if you, and they can't see it for something as monumentally as important as an officer-involved shooting, um, it, it just seems ridiculous, and it's almost like you're trying to set them up to fail. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're at a disadvantage the because the, the public has their phones out recording them. Sure. Right. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it, you know, and again, those are little caveats that people don't even talk about. Uh, but, but that is a lot of why law enforcement is so upset about this because it seems like, well, this is a good time to really, you know, take out our grievances on the cops. Right. And uh, this is where we're going to go after them and we're doing it. Um, and, and and to what end? I don't know how that makes anybody safer. That proviso. Explain that to me. I, that, that's yeah. where it's confusing. And well, it no, seems like they won't that, take right? action unless it affects them. OK, Lake right. Forest is starting to see it now. You got bum number one, bum number two, bum. Num if we don't start adding these things up, OK, people won't care. So. Little things like the cams, all this stuff all adds up to public safety. So one, let's go down the priority. Okay, we got to get a new state's attorney that actually prosecutes the laws that we have. Number two, we need the data that says this law is crap or it's good. And number three, we need the data that says, hey, this is a problem or it's not a problem. Well, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you need people number, to care and vote. On your number two, yeah. what's going to happen is somebody is going to be arrested uh, and immediately released at the police station because uh, of the crime will be of the level that allows for that. They're going to immediately go back to the concerning of the crime they, they started with uh, and kill somebody. And that's when you're going to get some form of data. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, the data is going to be uh, uh, created uh, by at the price of a lot of uh, innocent people. Uh, and that's uh, well, we'll we'll see if that actually. And you're happens. also letting people you know, you're letting people out I, that then I, commit I, I more dangerous crimes. I that there was that cop, uh, there was a Chicago police officer killed in a line of duty earlier this year, and I believe that one of the guys involved in killing him was out of jail for something else that really, if it if it hadn't been Kim Fox as the state's attorney. Um, if it had been Rich Daly, even who's a Democrat as the state's attorney, that guy would still be in jail and that police officer would still be alive today. So it's not even just the safety act. The safety act's bad. I think we've all established that. But it's also the judgment of this of these state's attorneys and how they handle it, right? I mean, I think the Will County state's attorney is gonna be is gonna be tougher with as much as he can be with the safety act than the Lake County state's attorney, Mr. Reinhardt, because Mr. Reinhardt seems to be more interested in the rights of gonna, the and, and criminals than of the victims. You're right, Joe, in that uh, uh, the state's attorney is the one who's going to make the decision of whether or not to ask for pretrial detention uh, rather than pretrial release. Uh, for a lot of these offenses uh, are what they're calling uh, detainable. Uh, that mm. is, the state's attorney has to prove by clear and convincing evidence that this defendant is likely to commit a crime uh, if they are released prior to trial, 
uh, on the crime they're being charged with. And the state's attorney is going to have to make that decision. This is suddenly a whole new form of litigation uh, that the state's attorney's office is going to have to make decisions about whether or not uh, to request pretrial detention or not. And I'd, re- I'd rather have Mary Cole making those decisions than Eric Reinhardt. Uh, me too. Yeah. No, it, I'd rather have a judge look at it. Well, the judge looks at it. The judge only hears in this what county. the attorney asks them to hear. Correct. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's bring some levity here, John. All right. Talk to me about the boys in red. <laughs> you just had it's a softball game yesterday. The, the boys, boys are, in... I can tell you they, they're uh, they're excellent cooks. Uh, no yeah. doubt about that. <laughs> they're fantastic. Firehouse uh, subs. And, and I hear they know how to use a they know how to use a recliner pretty well. Well, that you, you can't beat their Thanksgiving dinners. Their Sunday brunches are to die for. I'll tell you, those guys, man, they got it. There was just a uh, softball game between the Lake Forest Police and Lake Forest uh, Fire. I saw on Facebook. Who I, I can't remember who won the game, but um, those recliners. I mean, look, stuck on second I want, base. If my house is burning down, I want the best damn fireman you got out there That's coming there. to. There's to, to, an to foundation they have. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, those guys are fantastic at that. So uh, no question. Uh, I always say my big regret in life was not going that to the other side there because holy cow, everybody loves the firemen, right? They're great. Yeah, so right. and most uh, of the, most of their yeah. calls are actually uh, are, are not fires. They're uh, they're medical calls, paramedic calls. So yeah, you know, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. people do have medical uh, issues, and there's car accidents and and things like that, and and. You want the best trained and the best equipped to to be there because well, it does well, save lives. But well, fortunately, yeah, there is that little fun rivalry between the cops and firemen, uh, and, uh, and I think it's all in good fun, right? I mean, it's absolutely. <laughs> no, listen, they're great. Uh, I I I uh, I really enjoyed. You know, like you said, they they obviously respond to a lot of other things other than fires. But uh, you know, when when we did have the occasional house fire and stuff, boy, I tell you what, I I always admired those guys and their their, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that they had, which I always thought was great and admired them for, which I wish we had more of in in uh, in law enforcement, is their training and the way that they can bring. Uh, you could have a fire department because you know, obviously, a lot of times they bring multiple agencies in, right? And they're lockstep with each other. It's amazing to watch. Doesn't matter if it's Lake Forest, Lincolnshire. Uh, you know, Ban- Deerfield, Bannockburn, man, when they all come together, they know exactly what to do. And yeah, they zone out everything. I, I yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, they do. Well, but right. you did, you did kind of that with the major crimes task force because obviously, if there's a big crime in Lake Forest, right? Um, the Lake Forest PD, you guys all help each other, right, with stuff like that. I mean, yeah, there, think, think about the Fourth of July parade last uh, last yeah. year. Oh, the Highland Park thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely mutual aid between law enforcement agencies. The difference, though, is that, um, you know, just take something like radios. Um, it's better, but we used to be on completely different frequencies. I had no idea what would be going on in Lake Forest. I'd get to Lake Forest, and I'd have to have somebody relaying to me. Um, we also train differently, to be honest. I mean, we don't universally train the way firefighters do. So uh, my tactics might be a little different than your tactics. And um, I think that, uh, but that's, like I said, it's getting better for the police and we are doing way more collaborative efforts, uh, which is great. 
because uh, it benefits everyone. But that's one thing that we've definitely taken away from firefighters. And with men mental health, training. Um, mental health is a big thing. And, you know, a lot of people think that some of the crazy stuff that's happening is because there's been an overall decline in mental health in this country and the pandemic kind of put a, a big oh, yeah. spotlight on that or, or, or gaslit it. Yeah. Now, Lake Forest Police yeah. have a full-time social worker. And that social worker is dealing with this homeless guy by by hometown coffee, but they also deal with a lot of stuff, a lot of domestic issues. Where is it? You know, we keep hearing about that at some point it's not a police officer; it's it's a it's a social worker or a mental health professional that needs to deal with things. Where does how does that fall in, into the day to day of of what a what a police office what the police department needs to do? Yeah, I think so. You know, there there. There's definitely a, a good combination you can find there. But one thing I will say is that um, I don't think it's a good idea to send social workers out initially on almost anything because uh, you don't know where things will go and you need trained people to deal with people in crisis. And that is the police because sometimes, you know, things can go from bad to worse in an instant. And I don't want to put a social worker in that situation. I do think that they definitely have a role um, in today's law enforcement. And, and a lot of that, which I, I love is the follow-up part, because one thing that we we were lacking in in law enforcement is, you know, our job is to get there, assess the situation, make decisions, and then move on, right? Because that's what we have to do. We got to get to the next call. Somebody else needs us. Um, whereas social workers have that time and that ability to do the follow-up. So especially like in domestic or child abuse situations where Boy, we would love to follow up with that family, but as law enforcement, we just don't have the opportunity. But now somebody in that role, the social work role, I think is a really, really vital person because what it hopefully does is not have to cause us to come back out there again and have to keep dealing with this and have to keep dealing. But John, don't some so, communities out um, there have a four, a four-legged call where you have a copper and a mental, whatever you want to call them to aid and it's kind of a double, it's a screwy situation. Thank God we have you you guys out there. But you got somebody that's on meth. There's, what are you going to say to them? You know, they can right. do anything, <laughs> right? So so have yeah. you heard? No, that's, my, about, that's exactly my know, point. Hey, let's send a social worker out there while this guy's, you know, got a machete. Uh, well, unfortunately, I think I think there have been some areas of the country that are have tried that um, and uh, found that that doesn't work. Um, and again, you know, as we talked about, you know, when, when police respond, it's usually because people are in a crisis situation, whatever that might be. Uh, and, and, and it's usually in their worst moments at the worst times of their lives. And again, um, and I'm not saying there's not a place, as I just said, there's definitely a place for these folks, for counselors, uh, that kind of stuff. But in the moment. I'm not sure that that's the place for them um, because the police, again, the police yeah, must ahead. feel at this point that they're we're just under siege with all these different changes, including I was driving past on Lincoln Avenue uh, in Chicago uh, on my way to the Cubs game uh, last week. And we went past a police station on Lincoln. Uh, it was jammed in front with kids, toys, women and children hanging around because all the all the migrants are now living in the police stations in Chicago. Uh, right. It did not Brandon look like a Johnson. police station. It looked like a daycare center. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it was you know people all over the place, all moms and little kids 
who had walked from Venezuela and then got on the bus uh, and came to Chicago. And where does where does Chicago park them? At the police station. Soon to be uh, Lake Forest. Talk, yeah. Well, talk about a slap in the face to the police by a mayor. I mean, you talk to any Chicago police officer, ask them what they think of Brandon Johnson, and you're not going to get any positive <laughs> comments back. And that's why I think yeah. going back to that mayoral election, um, I, I uh, every police officer I've talked to in town is very glad that Randy Tack was elected. Randy has family members that are police officers. He clearly gets it when it comes to law enforcement, and he's not going to be writing checks to Kim Fox or to Eric Reinhardt <laughs> or any of these woke prosecutors. But, you know, and my experience uh, as a as back in the day as an elected official, and this was long before the, the crap that's going on now. This is in late 90s, early 2000s. We did, I did ride-alongs with our, our local police and even back then, the one the, the thing that I came to appreciate working with them was they at any moment in their job, uh, their life's in danger. Um, a simple traffic stop, you know, the Lake Forest police could pull somebody over on 41 or Waukegan who's speeding one night. And, you know, most of the time it's here's your ticket or it's a DUI, take the breathalyzer, let's go. But you don't know what's behind that windshield. When you're walking up to that car, and unfortunately, uh, in other cities, they've lost, including Chicago, they've lost police officers because of that. I mean, it's it's yeah. tough. I mean, you have to prepare yourself every morning. I mean, what's it like, you know, to think that, hey, I may go to work today and not come home? Yeah, I can tell you. So, you know, since I retired, um, I, uh, I teach uh, peer support to um, first responders, primarily law enforcement, but we do have um, telecommunicators in there as well. And um, it's a it's something that's sorely needed for uh, especially law enforcement. Um, so it's not just that aspect of it, the kind of fear that you sometimes live with, but it's obviously, you know, it, you're going to, I've experienced more trauma than uh, most people are going to experience a lifetime I've experienced in a year, you know, especially being on the task force and stuff. And 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 that idea that yeah yeah I mean but you know one thing that is you rely on your training um, and if you're going to do this and seriously do this job you do it because you love it and you want to serve the community and you're willing to lay down your life for them um, and it is uh, and I think you said it earlier Joe it's 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 a it's a kinship unlike any other and it it really is um, and part of why we're really big on on peer support training for officers is because. Let me tell you, uh, cops don't want to talk to people who aren't cops a lot of times, right? Yeah. And um, and it's just it's it is one of those things. Um, look, I you know I couldn't come home to my wife, who's a wonderful supporting person, but tell her, man, you know I, I had the shit scared out of me today. I, I you know I, I had to draw my gun, and I I wasn't sure you know uh, if I was going to make it or not. And you know because now that's overburdensome for her. But you see what I mean. But we need that outlet as well. But there you know. Like I said, most of the people get into this for the right reasons and, and they would all do it. And, and I can speak just for the officers that I know, just all of them would have done it in a heartbeat. And 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 what's also amazing about it is that personal differences aside, right? Because, you know, you're like a family. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I'm 55. I spent 25 years of my life at Lincolnshire, right? So think about that. I mean, that's a lifetime that I spent and a lot of it with the same people. Um, and you know, like a family, you don't always get along, but I'll tell you what, man, it, when it came down to, to, if, if my brother or my sister were in trouble, didn't matter if we fought in that morning, 
I was going to town, you know, right? And same thing. And we all love the community and, and that's what we would do. So it's just, it's a mindset, but we're human beings too. So, um, you know, we still go home. We still have families that we have to take care of. So I think John, we're run, we're running, we're running a little bit late. If you got to split, yeah. I mean, I want to keep going with you, man, because this, <laughs> this is important stuff, but you know, we talked about the mental health on, on the other side. Let's talk about the mental health yeah. on your side out of 10 coppers. How many yeah. think got uh, PTSD where you're recurring that moment over and over and over? And then how many of the coppers are able to do something about it? Because there's a, lot, there's a stigma with mental health, right? Yep. You, you have this yep. going on. If you go try to do something about it, it's like you're, you're weak. Is any of that going on that you've seen? So um, we've been lucky when we do our trainings, we, we've been trying to go all over the state, right? And what you'll see is very interesting. There's there's a clear demarcation in terms of like our area where it's it's you know I think we've got some really good chiefs in place that are really focused on the mental health well being of their officers, and then as you kind of move around the state in some of these smaller more rural areas, it's still that old mindset of you know you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't need that you just got to toughen up and I think what we forget too is with a with a different generation that we have now we have to we have to take that into account that. When you have folks that have kind of lived, lived sheltered lives, right? I mean, they, you know, they had a great upbringing. They went to college. Their first job is in law enforcement. They could go on a bad accident, right? They've never seen an accident in their life. And all of a sudden, there's a child laying in the street and somebody is dead. And, and Or it could be the first time they've ever seen somebody dead. They, they've never even experienced death, right? Yep. They're like 22 years old, never seen it before. And that's the first time they see something like that you know, that has an effect on them. And so that's the kind of stuff, major events for sure, but even stuff like that, where we're trying to educate departments and saying, hey, you got to take that kid aside and you have to work with them because that is a traumatic event. It's amazing. I I, I ask people to raise their hands in class. This is the first time you saw a dead body. And, and you'll see people, half the class will be like, it was on the job. I'd never seen it before. I didn't even know what to do. So sure, sure. Um, it is so important for us. We have to treat it just like we do our physical well-being. You know, we're all good about working out and doing that stuff. But boy, oh boy, you know. Um, and one thing that I was on the task force when I was able to get promoted, we started, it was a rudimentary peer support at the time. But um, it, it, I can't stress enough. And we've been finally getting people vetted through a program to make sure that the therapists understand the culture of the law enforcement community. Because I'll tell you right now, you cannot go to a regular therapist and, and start spewing the kinds of things that we see. Cause again, they're not used to dealing with that. Um, so, but there are great people out there, counselors and therapists who work specifically with law enforcement, um, which have done wonders. Um, you know, because unfortunately, our, our suicide rate, too, is, is astronomical in our profession. And um, and I will say, unfortunately, you know, and I, I know a lot of Chicago coppers and too. unfortunately, they're of the minds that they've still got that old stigma. And that's mm. that's a shame, because if any department needs it, it's that uh, department. You yeah. know, well, well, those those guys are the bartender. Really important line. Yeah. Therapists yeah. can't be the bartender. A lot of times. Right. Yeah. No, Shout out to Mike's cop bar. I get it. Yeah. You know who you are. John, thank you my so <laughs> You should have. <laughs> I was brought in by a police officer friend. I told you I got friends who were cops. Many John, years do ago. we leave it? Do we leave anything on the table, man? You think you got it? You got your side out? 
No, this is great. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to give uh, my side of the story, so to speak. But uh, this yeah. has been wonderful. Oh, we we really appreciate it, John. Thank you very much for being on with yeah. us this morning. Yeah, yeah this is great. Thank you for your service. Yes. Right. Oh, my pleasure. And tell those boys in red, if they get off the recliners, we'll have them come on the show too. Mike Yellow. <laughs> I don't know. How about a chili cook off? Come on. Yeah, there you go. That'll get them out. Fire <laughs> chili. All right. The Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Looking for the best pool supplies? Look no further than Doheny's Pool Supplies. With a history dating back to 1967, this family-owned business offers everything families need to keep their pools clean and sparkling from chemicals to equipment. Plus, customers enjoy free shipping on all orders. Visit Doheny's Pool Supplies today at doheny.com, D-O-H-E-N-Y.com to learn more. Forest Bluff Real Estate Team serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. John Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and of course, Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. For the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. Owned by Lake Bluff's own Rich Ruzich, they are a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small batch products that will delight both the occasional user and Gangier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. Navy Communications has been helping first responders arrive safely since 1983. It's owned by Lake Forest own Mike Havy. Check them out at havycommunications.com. Are you looking for beer, wings, and swings in Lake Forest? Well, check out Duffer's Pub and their state-of-the-art golf simulators. This primo setup is the perfect place for your next corporate event. Yes, let your boss win. And of course, all the games will be on the TV and you'll never go hungry because the za and wings are scrumptious. Go to Duffer's Pub on Western Avenue now. We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters. Otto, John C., Helen, and Herrick. 